Let's turn to Psalm 40. <clears throat> and I have to apologize to Cindy and Rich and to Debbie because um, I did a devotion for the worship team and it was based on the same text. And It's just something I've been thinking about for a couple months now and just kind of kind of keep coming back to it. You know, there's just sometimes there's those scriptures that you just kind of keep coming back to and um, I wanted to go through it again. So, <clears throat> so let's just read this. We're going to read the first three verses here. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock established my steps, and he's put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. So I know this is supposed to be the short and sweet night, which I didn't know what that meant until this afternoon. Um, <laughs> I get, why is everybody keep saying short and sweet? What, what is the significance of that? Um, anyway, but I want to try to hit three, three main points, and I'll, I'll, I'll try, to, try to keep it within 20, 30 minutes if I can. So first point, uh, the basics, we're saved by grace. And then as believers, we're, we're sanctified by grace as well. We walk forward in that grace in our daily lives. Um, the second point that we'll get to is that praise is the natural outgrowth or out, uh, overflow of what's happening inside of our hearts. When our hearts are spiritually healthy and there's good things happening and God's working and we're submitted to him, that praise is a natural overflow and, and outflow of, of that. And then the third is uh, an utter dependence on the Holy Spirit and that gift of the Holy Spirit that God's, that God's given us. So this first point about God's uh, grace and um, just really back to basics. Um, I want to look at this first verse here. <clears throat> I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he, um, and he heard my cry. And so David um, understood his need uh, he declared his need to God and um, he submitted himself to God in such a way that he didn't try to manipulate the situation. He submitted to God and let him do it. Um, and this word inclined is a really cool word. It, it, um, it means to stretch out, uh, to pay attention to. When I think of it, I think of like a, a father with his child. The child comes up to the father and the father's doing something and he comes up and he stops everything he's doing and he locks eyes with, with the child and... Um, really pays attention. He leans in, he stretches out, um, and it's just that father's love for the children. He's not only going to give undivided attention, but he's going to actually respond and take an action and, and meet the need of, of what, the, what, the child, uh, what the child has. <clears throat> and in verse two, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Um, and I'm gonna jump right into the application, so forgive me. Um, but just as God worked in David's life, um, God's done the same thing for us. And we're gonna pick this verse apart a little bit, but I see kind of the gospel in this verse, and we're gonna look at each piece of it really quick. Um, so the first piece here, he brought me up out of a horrible pit, and that's what Christ has done for us. He's taken us out of sin, out of death, out of that pit, um, and out of the miry clay. We're stuck, we can't get out on our own. Um, number two, he stood us up on the rock, which is Christ. And uh, Christ, as you guys know, is often referred to as the rock. Um, the rock, the cornerstone, a found, firm foundation, a living stone, um, and the stone that was rejected. It's, he's, he's unmoving. 
um, is the picture that the scripture paints for us often. And then this third part, he set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps. Um, established, just the, just the dictionary meaning of this is to set on a firm foundation or with a permanent basis. And that's what Christ has done for us. We're, we're uh, sealed in the heavens when we, when we ask Christ to come into our hearts and forgive our sins. Uh, and we have that firm foundation in Christ as we do that. And then when he establishes our steps, there's movement there. So we're out of the clay, we're out of the mud we're, where we were stuck. God pulled us out, we couldn't do it ourselves. And then he puts us in motion. So he gives us freedom now to, to walk and to move for him. And the way I read it is he establishes us, he, he uh, sends us out basically. So he's picking us up, he's rooting us in truth, and then he's moving us on, and, and there's movement there um, in, in our lives. And so this is really, uh, I see this as sort of a micro version of the gospel in this, in this verse. We're dead in our sins. Uh, we understand uh, our plight. Uh, we declare our need. And then um, God takes action, and he sends Jesus to conquer sin through death and resurrection. He pulls us out of the pit. He sets us on the rock, and then he establishes our steps and pushes us out, pushes us out the door to go spread the gospel, and that we see that, that pattern throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament of, of uh, that redemption, and, but it's not just the redemption, it's also the sending forward after that that's takes place. So, simply, point, point number one, we're saved by grace. Um, you know, David didn't take any kind of an action to help himself. He recognized his need was such that he couldn't do it himself, so he waited patiently. He didn't do anything, he waited in my Bible, waited is all caps. I know there's no significance to that, but I just, it's a reminder that it's like, wait. Um, but he waited. He didn't try to do anything for himself. He cried out to God. He recognized he couldn't do it. Um, and at the throne of grace, the gospel basically says that we all come on a level playing field. We all come to Jesus the same way. There's no um, person that's higher or lower than the other person. You know, this, this good moral person and this person over here um, we all come the exact same way. Um, everybody has to have that experience when they come to Christ, right? There's no, there's no shortcuts. We all have to come on our face, totally humble, and come and, and submit ourselves um, to Christ. And it never ceases to amaze me when you meet, um, you meet people that, especially in our, I feel like in our country especially, there's just this culture of Christianity, and it's less and less these days, but you meet people that just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and um, there's not really, for, for one, there's not really a lot of fruit there. But what I find consistently is that there's just not humility there. Um, they don't recognize that there's sin. Uh, and, and they didn't come that way to Christ. They came to Christ uh, because it was convenient or whatever. Um, and it wasn't uh, just flat on my face, I am a sinner and I'm, you know, before a holy God. You know, I'm in the hands of a holy God. There's just this kind of flippancy about them. And you can tell that person hasn't really had a real true encounter understanding that repentance is part of that equation to come to Jesus, right? <clears throat> so it's grace alone, through Christ alone. Um, this verse that uh, we all know and love, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, and I like the, uh, the New Living Translation version. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Um, and the second half of this point is um, receiving grace is not a one-time event. So if you understand that you're a sinner um, 
and you need grace. It's not that you get pulled up that one time. Um, you, you, let, me, let, me, let me start over with that. Grace is something that we need to daily understand that we need, okay? So when we get saved, um, our position is firm. You know, the Bible says that, that uh, no one is going to allow us to pull us out of his hand, right? So we're, we're saved, we're, we're firm in the heavens, but that grace is something that we need on a daily basis, and there's a continual submission to God, recognizing that I'm still in this body, I'm still in this tent, and I cannot do it for myself. And, and there's that, that grace for living. Um, and personally, I didn't understand that for a very long time, that grace is this necessary step of sanctification. Um, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace, grace which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So it's a, it's a continual um, falling upon God's grace. And um, we see this pattern throughout Scripture of, um, you know, we're kind of our own worst enemy, and it just has never changed throughout history. And you could look at David or Moses or Peter or Jonah or the Israelites where we, they, they made the mistakes, they cried out to God saying, God, help me, I can't do it. And then God, here, here's God stepping in, and it's just that, continual picture of God's grace. And so um, we have to remain in that place of humility, uh, waiting patiently like David did on God and crying out to him for grace. It's a continual, it's a continual thing. <clears throat> Point number two. Um, let's read verse three here. He has, a new, he has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God, and many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. So this is David's response to this local problem that he had. I know we talked about it immediately, went into the application of it for us, but you know, David has this problem. God brings him out. He establishes him. And what's David's response? It's, it's praise. It's immediate praise, right? Um, I want to read something really quick. This is um, Reflections on the Psalms by um, C.S. Lewis. Um, been kind of wading through it in the last few months. Does anybody else have this problem where you have like 15 books going at one time and then you just like... Just ADD kind of. Anyway. Um, so he has this great chapter on praise. And it's kind of all over the place, so I'm going to skip around just a little bit. But this is kind of on the, this topic of responding in praise and kind of what, kind of just a, um, almost like a worldly meaning of what praise looks like. And I, I, think it's, I think it works for us. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare, rare beetles, and even some, sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise what they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. And they, they would say, isn't she lovely or wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that was magnificent? And the psalmists, in telling everybody to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. So it's a um, praise at its most base level is just praising what makes you happy, praising what you, you see that magnificent uh, sunset. You see uh, that, you know, you go to an opera or something and you're just, that's amazing. And you, you have to tell somebody else about it. Um, and that's, that's what he's saying here. The, the psalmists in telling everybody to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. 
I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anybody how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep, keep silent because the people with you care for it no, mother, no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. And so the, the, his second point is that um, praise is the appointed consummation when, when you are able to express it outwardly. So you might enjoy something, but there's something special that happens when you are outwardly expressing it to somebody else, right? So it's like, and, and that ha- that's, uh, happens all the time. You know, I'm, I'm reading a book or I'm, you know, watching something and it's like, Lori, come take a look at this and ch- check out this YouTube video. You've got to see this or whatever. And it's, uh, it, there's something about it that's built into us that we're able to express that praise or express that joy um, when we share it with somebody else. And then his last point here is, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Um, and I'll read that again. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. So from his point of view, praise, when we're, when we're praising something and it's, it just comes in, coming very naturally, it's not forced, it's not manufactured, that is a sign of that there's, there's health, there's health in here. And when we're doing it especially to the God of the universe, to his creation, to his works, to his word, to somebody he's put in our lives, whatever that may be, that's a sign of our, of our spiritual health as well. So, <clears throat> anyway, it's a cool book. <clears throat> you know, and David, um, as you guys know, if you've spent any time in the Psalms, um, he, he like personifies this, right? He's, he is so vocal about everything. I mean, he's the guy that's like dancing with half his clothes off, you know? He's just like, he, it's vocal, it's loud, it's raw, and it's just, it's just what's going on in his heart. Um, <clears throat> He was constantly praising God outwardly and publicly. I mean, even just a few verses down in verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 9, you know, all that he's going through, this whole thing about all this stuff that God's done for him, and he says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly, so in front of everybody. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Um, so he's so outwardly giving this praise because of what God's, what God's done for him. And um, I think that real true praise that glorifies God um, just comes very naturally when we have a good relationship with him, when we're spiritually healthy. We don't have to come to church and just force the words out when we're singing a song. We don't have to, um, when somebody tells us something that awesome that God's done in their life, be like, oh yeah, praise the Lord, brother, yeah. It's, it's just comes very naturally um, out of that. Uh, we just simply can't, it, it just kind of bubbles right out of us. We have to share what, what God's done for us. Um, and really, especially in the world, not in the context of just sharing with other believers, um, this is kind of evangelism in its very simplest form, in its rawest form. We're just talking about what God has done to other people. Um, and, if, and if the gospel and what God has done in our hearts to take away our sin and give us a brand new life, if that's real to us and we're, that's the, the gospel is really moving in our hearts, we, how do we not share that with people? Um, that troubles me about myself and it has for years that um, in a lot of cases there's just like this dullness there and I'm not, uh, you know, I'll, I'll 
be meeting with somebody or whatever, and um, the Holy Spirit maybe prick my heart or something, and it's just like, where's the energy and the fire and the passion to share that? And sometimes it's really there, and other times it bothers me that it's like, why isn't, why isn't that there? Have I not submitted myself? Am I, you know, what, what, what's happening there? But when we're in a very spiritually healthy place, that just comes, just comes out, because God's working in our lives. We're communing with him, and it just comes out. Um, <clears throat> so I, my two observations are really, if that's not happening, if that natural praise isn't happening, either we've kind of forgotten the core tenets of the gospel, you know, what Christ has really done for us, or um, we're not submitting to him to let him do things in our lives, you know. Um, it's funny, um, as we've gone through this whole process with the bridge, with the youth center, um, our faith has been grown just dramatically. And this is in like two weeks. It's just like such a crazy short amount of time. Um, and it's funny when you open yourself up to what God wants to do and you just sort of make yourself available um, and you, you look for God to move in small little areas, he, he will. And a lot of times he's moving and you're just not even recognizing the, those little things that he's doing. Um, and, it's, and it's funny, you, you come to these diff- different stages in our spiritual walk where... Um, it's those little things that God is doing. And on, in one phase of life, you're like, well, that could have happened because this, this, and this. And, and you really don't have a lot of faith that God is moving in that area. And other times, it's like, holy, oh my gosh, and you're sharing it with everybody, and it's amazing. And that's what's kind of happened with us with the bridge um, the last couple of weeks. It's just like every single little thing, we're like expectant that God's going to do something, you know? And it's exciting. It's exciting to see. Um, so, but if that, my, my point was, if, if the praise isn't coming out naturally, um, it's probably because of those two things. We, we've just sort of forgotten our first love. We've forgotten what the gospel says. Or we're just really, really not looking for those little areas where God is, is working and is moving and is doing things in our lives and responding to those things. Um, so, point number three. Um, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is, as God establishes our steps and calls us out. Um, we have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So just as uh, David said that, you know, you, you pulled me up, you stood me up, um, you established my steps. And, and in that process of um, God calling us out and moving us out, we have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that he's given us to have boldness. And we'll, we'll go through that in a minute. And I, I, think, I think everybody in here is a believer. Um, if you remember that time when you got saved, uh, or maybe it was a process. Uh, for me, it was more of a kind of a process. I didn't have a particular date. Um, there was a second thing that happened. For some people, it happens immediately. But I think there, there's a second thing that happens where all of a sudden it's like there's this awareness that you have to be bold for Jesus and you have to just tell everybody that you possibly can about, about the gospel and about what God has done, what God has done for you. And um, when we get to that place, we have to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. So... What I want to do is just go really quickly, kind of go to some basics about the Holy Spirit and just talk about that as we, um, hopefully, this is all going to tie together. Um, and as we talk about dependence on Christ, the Holy Spirit is a major component to that. Um, so let's go to Acts, um, the first part of Acts. And we're just going to walk through just some basic verses on how the, the Holy Spirit interacts with us as believers. <clears throat> And I know this will be review for most of you. <clears throat> so Acts 1, 
We'll start at verse 4. Being assembled together with them, and this is Jesus, he commanded them to, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, wait, the Holy Spirit hasn't uh, been sent out yet to come upon you, and so you need to wait um, because I don't want you going out in your own strength. You know, I have this very specific timeline, and he's been leading up to that. He's been telling the disciples, this is coming. Um, And so just stepping back for a second, um, I want to talk about really the three ways that um, the Holy Spirit relates to us as as believers. Um, And so let's go back really quick to John 14. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So, this word with is the Greek word para, and there's this um, experience, not experience, that's the wrong word. Um, There's this orientation that the Holy Spirit has towards the world, and we usually refer to it as with. Um, and we're going to go through three of those, with, in, and upon. Um, but this word with, para, the, the, the Spirit is with us before we're saved. Um, John sixteen seven says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit is with people before they're saved. He's in the world. He's in the world working and he's convicting the world of sin. You know, and as we, you know, as we pray for people that are unbelievers, a typical prayer is, God, take away blindness. You know, sew up the ground of their heart. You know, and it, the, the Holy Spirit is the one that does that. And it's, it's comforting to know that it's not our responsibility to save people. It's our responsibility to be faithful, to deliver the message. But it's not our responsibility to you know, stir up that emotion or that conviction in their heart to try to trick them or something into being saved. God does that. They just simply need to be communicated to, and it's really up to the Holy Spirit. It takes such a burden off of us. It um, takes away a lot of fear, you know, that people have to evangelize and to talk to people because the Holy Spirit, it's his job. It's his job to do it. <clears throat> so number two, the, the Spirit comes inside of us when we become saved, and we use, usually use the word in. Um, in Greek, it's en, just E-N. And we become sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm going to just turn and read this really quick. So Jesus, after he rose from the dead, and before, um, before the book of Acts, before the ascension um, and everything, um, he says here in John 20, verse 22, he says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so this is when the disciples specifically received the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit now has come inside of them and it's sealed them. And I have a few verses here that relate to that. Um, Romans 8, 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
And now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So there's that, that seal that uh, almost proves that you, that you are a Christian because you have the seal. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Uh, and Ephesians 1.13 In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So it's like, the, it's like a title of a car, you know? And we, we have that. We have that seal. And God owns us. He, he has the title. And uh, nothing can take that away. Um, all right, so the Holy Spirit is with us before we're saved, comes inside of us. And now there's this third experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon, uh, and this word is epi, um, is, is typically, there, there's a bunch of different ways, which I'll talk about in a second, but uh, back to cha- um, chapter one of Acts, in verse eight, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so they had the Holy Spirit, but there was this uh, mission that God had for, for the believers and for us as well, which is to share the gospel with, with the whole world. And the Holy Spirit is the person that declares Jesus. He's the unnamed servant. He's the one that goes out and declares Jesus. And, <clears throat> and you see these instances, especially in Acts, um, it's, all, it's almost always associated with having boldness to share the gospel. Um, and it's, it's interesting that... They're constantly praying for the Holy Spirit. And we do that too. We pray, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. But uh, I don't know that we always recognize that it's associated with this act of going out and evangelizing and, and um, having that power and the conviction, the, the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in people's hearts. <clears throat> and a P, um, you know, it can be confusing because it's described in a lot of different ways. And I think this has caused a lot of confusion. But... Um, it's really used a bunch of different ways. Um, the word filled or filling, uh, coming upon, which is what we, what we just mentioned. Uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of confusion there. I grew up Lutheran, so they just argue that every time the word baptism is used is water. Um, it's just totally not true. Um, overflowing, pouring out. Um, and it was interesting to me that just about every type of um, uh, description of this is sort of related to water. I don't know why that is, um, but it's just interesting to me that there's this picture of water um, through that. And the unique thing about a P, um, which is something that I think a lot of denominations, we, we would split off from certain denominations and um, from this, this concept that this can happen actually multiple times. It's not a unique event. Um, and it's very, and we're gonna go through it right now. You know, Jesus, back in chapter one of Acts, Jesus said to wait for the promise, right? Because they're gonna, have boldness. Uh, they, God wants them to have dependence on the Holy Spirit. And then we have Pentecost in chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Um, and what do they do? They immediately go out and everybody starts seeing what's going on. Um, it's pretty interesting. And then over in chapter 4, uh, Peter and John get arrested and they get, they get threatened um, and then they get released. And then um, in chapter 4, verse 23... Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses. And being let go, they went to their own uh, companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And so when they heard, 
heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together um, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. So they're um, associating that filling of the Spirit with um, asking for boldness. By stretching out your hand to heal and that the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so um, what was the result of them being filled? They had boldness. Um, and here they're filled again. So um, people that say that you can only be filled one time or that's just an experience when you're baptized or whatever, it's just not true. Um, there's multiple instances of being filled back up, filled back up, filled back up. And that's really the unique thing. Um, and it's appropriate. Uh, I mentioned that, we, that that's such a common prayer that we say, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit. It's an appropriate prayer as long as we are sincere when, when we mean it, and, and recognize that a lot of times it's associated with that boldness. So as we pray it, let's also pray, God, give us boldness to go out and, and share with people. Um, and, but there's also, praying that also means that there's a dependency there, uh, that we're recognizing that we can't do it on our own, and that's very, very, very critical. Um, a few years ago, um, there was a, uh, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association came to um, Denver and they did an event called Rock the Range and it was just a big Billy Graham kind of um, evangelistic event. I don't even know what to describe it as. It was a big concert. They had like Skillet and Lecrae and a bunch of bands there and they did a, um, a training and they brought in all their staff from uh, North Carolina, I believe it is, where they're headquartered and um, they had this guy and I'll never forget, I, they had all these training materials and everything and I don't remember a lot of, of what they talked about, but this one, this one guy, and this guy trains people all around the world to be uh, evangelists. And it was um, so memorable because he really focused on the Holy Spirit and how important that was. It wasn't like a, um, a step-by-step thing. Okay, you know, people are going to raise their hand and then you go talk to them and then, you know, you go, go through, here's all these little points that you go through. And, you know, there was some of that, but it was really about dependence on Christ. And he talked about, uh, dependence on the Holy Spirit. And um, he talked, I'll, he used this illustration, which I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard, but um, it's always just sort of stuck with me. The, his particular version really stuck with me. Um, but when we, you know, as believers, well, before we're believers, we're like, we're like a glass of water, an empty glass, uh, an empty glass. And next to us is a full pitcher of water. And that represents we're the glass and God is the, the water and the Holy Spirit is the water. Um, when we get saved, and, and by the way, that's, that's the with, right? That's the para. So we're, 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 God is with us. He's convicting us. And then he comes inside of us. So the water pours into the glass, and he's inside of us. And that, that water never leaves. We have that seal. Um, but then, as we learn how to pray, and as we you know, ask God to fill us with, with the Holy Spirit and all these things, and um, becoming a, a mature believer... He keeps filling. He keeps pouring the water in. The water keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And finally, it gets right to the rim. Um, and there's just a little bit more, just that extra drop. And it starts to overflow. And it overflows a lot. That one drop made a lot of extra 
um, water flow out. And what happens? Everything around the glass gets wet. And so that's like us in our relationships, in our communities. Um, the, the water gets all over everything, and we're that light to the community, light to the people that we're, that we're around. But what happens is we, we slowly start, that water level slowly starts going down. We have to have that refilling. And so God fills us up again and fills us up again and fills us up again, and we keep pouring out. Um, and what I found is that this wasn't really part of his illustration, but if we are not being filled, if that glass, um, if that pitcher is not filling us with water, that water becomes really stagnant. You know, if you've left a glass of water out overnight, the next morning it just tastes kind of gross, right? And what happens if you leave that for a long period of time? It just becomes stagnant, and that can happen with us. We can be filled um, and then kind of stop, and it, it just becomes really stagnant, and it's just, it's bitter, it doesn't taste good, um, and so we need that fresh, um, we need that fresh filling. And so, and one of the things he, that, that I liked, um, he was a southern guy, and he, he just... Yeah, I probably butchered the, the illustration, but he talked about how when you bump into people, you're, you're sloshing all over people. So you, you bump into somebody and your cup is you know, sloshing over here and sloshing over there, and, and that's really how it should be. We're bumping into people in our daily lives, and we're sloshing all over everybody. Um, and I just love that, that illustration. Um, and just one more verse here, John 7:38. Um, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And again, that um, association with the idea of water um, is so interesting. So three points. Um, we're saved by grace, and we're sanctified. We have to continue in grace. Um, and that includes that, that utter dependence. So we don't just come to the cross dependent that first time. Every day we come to the cross with a new, fresh dependence. We're waiting like David did. We're patient um, for him to, to move. Um, praise being the natural response of what he's doing in our lives. And so if, uh, if that praise isn't happening naturally, it's because we've just lost sight of what the gospel says. You know, and if you, if, if you had those times where you just, it just really hits home, you hear the gospel message again, maybe it's like Easter or maybe you're reading through the gospels and it's just like at that gut level again, like the way it was when you got saved and it's just like, oh, that truth is so, so good. We need that constantly. We need to be reminding ourselves constantly how good that is. Um, and then third, just dependence on the Holy Spirit and, and asking him to constantly move and to fill us up um, and just simply just submitting. And so, um, yeah, let's, let's pray really quick. Father, we um, praise you for tonight. We praise you that you, um, that you love us. Lord, you didn't leave us in the in the mud, Lord, you, um, you, you, you saw that we had a need and you, and you met that need. And um, I pray you would teach us to, to praise, Lord, that you would teach us to, um, to love you, love you the way you deserve, God. And, um, and we just uh, praise you so much for all the work that you've done. And um, I thank you so much for this fellowship. And um, I pray you'd help us to sharpen each other. And uh, we love you so much. In your name, Jesus. Amen.